0: So not only did we increase uh, the amount that we served uh, to kids who were locally grown food, but we, the variety in which we gave them um, made for the most interesting comments. Even some people who have been working in food for a while. It's our first time, you know, I'm looking at a 50-year-old uh, who's seeing cucumber lemon for the first time. They're like, what is this?
1: Let's make spa water out of it. This episode is the first part of a discussion between Ben Thomas of the Community Alliance of Family Farms, Hope Sapola of Fiery Ginger Farm in West Sacramento, California, and Vince Kagan of the Natomas, California, Unified School District. Hope and Vince discuss how the relationship between Fiery Ginger Farm and the school district has evolved and how the farm set about maintaining school sales during the COVID-19 pandemic. Let's listen.
2: Thank you all for for having us today. It's it's really an honor to be able to moderate this panel and be able to introduce you all to a farmer and food service director that I'm not only grateful to work with and have a friendship with, have friendships with, um, but also that I think are really unique leaders and model and are great to model after in this in this space and have a lot of incredible insight and experience to share. I work with the Farm to Market Program at the Community Alliance with family farmers. Um, we're a statewide organization that works with small to mid-scale family farms to help access different market channels and have had a major focus on farm to cafeteria and farm to school over the, by the last 20 years. I'm also based in the Sacramento area, right next to uh, Hope Sepulla from Fiery Ginger Farms based in West Sacramento, and Vince Kagan from the Thomas Unified School District based in North Sacramento. I wanted to just share briefly that I think one of the things that, just a, a couple illustrations of what makes their work really special that I look forward to sharing more today is that Hope and her farm partner, Shane, come, not, come to farming not only as uh, fully commercial market-oriented farmers that base their model around school district sales, but are also teachers and educators themselves and have a long background in teaching and also provide student programs um, and how they're able to uniquely do that to have a viable farm. Um, and then Vince, who I'm um, really in, uh, amazed and inspired to see having doubled his direct purchasing and really in turn doubled down on his support of the farmers that he works with uh, at Natoma's Unified School District during COVID-19, which has been you know a really difficult and dedicated commitment to have to be able to focus on in the middle of a crisis. We're going to start by having each other, having uh, each of our panelists introduce themselves, talk a little bit more about their roles and backgrounds, and help us understand more about what their operations look like. Um, Hope, would you like to start us off?
3: I'm Hope with I'm the co-owner of Fiery Ginger Farm. As Ben said, I have a business partner Shane who is manning the farm today uh, so we can still keep farming. My background started with school gardens. Uh, just I have two kids that are now teenagers and almost graduated, but when we moved to California, I started my interest in farm to school by managing the school gardens uh, in Davis and I moved from there to managing a school farm in Davis. And then decided to start farming for myself but always wanted a model that kind of surrounded farm to school and um, healthy school lunches and teaching kids about where their food comes from and working um, with families on food access and all those sorts of things and so i met shane at the california farm academy class in 2015 and he was a middle school teacher for 15 years so while he was interested in making a career change into farming he also wanted to continue to work with kids so we lease a piece of property through Washington Unified School District. It is just an old field behind a continuation high school that they weren't using. And so they leased it to the Center for Land-Based Learning, who then sublet it to us as part of their incubator program. Um, in the last year and a half, we've been able to sign a private lease with the school district. So it's a two-acre uh, parcel urban farm. All hand scale, meaning we don't use tractors. We do use a walk-behind BCS tractor, but it's all hand scale farming, um, organic practices. And uh, as Ben said, our business has a has a focus on education because both of us come from an education background. So we do do a lot of work with um, farm to school organizations like Davis Farm to School and Yolo Farm to Fork. Up until this year, we're doing um, educational farm field trips, um, and classroom visits, uh, working on lesson planning with teachers. We worked a lot with Vince to do um, work with various school garden sites uh, in the New Thomas district um, and all sorts of those things. So our focus is really on education and also getting our produce into school lunches. Up until recently, about 60% of our sales were to schools. That was our biggest uh, wholesale customer.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Thank though. you, Hope. Yeah. Vince, go ahead. Yeah, so I'm, <laughs> hello, everyone. I'm Vince Coggan. I'm the um, Executive Director at Natomas Unified School District of Nutrition, Service, and Warehousing. Warehousing means I also do textbooks and furniture in addition to uh, school food. So pre-COVID, we served about 11,000 meals a day between breakfast, lunch, supper, and then we also do snacks. And post COVID, we're above and beyond that. We're we're about like 150 percent of our normal participation, if you include uh, weekends and holidays. So we're on track to serve kids three meals 365 days a year with COVID and all the extensions. Um, that's definitely the end result in what we'll be talking about. But it didn't happen overnight. The Thomas was a management company prior to me arriving in 2012. And not that that's bad, Um, but taking the best practices that were established and moving it toward a farm to school program, definitely with a lot of help with the people here on this call. So meeting Ben early on um, was a big one with CAF, just helping me navigate a lot of the rules, regulation, and language and introduction to other farms um Hope, I think when I hear your story, uh, we almost grew pal- parallel to each other. Our organization and uh, your farm grew parallel. Nick and California Department of Food and Agriculture just helped, definitely helped us with some block grants grant and some support. And then a couple of years ago, we were recipient of a USDA Farm to School grant, which definitely helped uh, spike our trajectory by adding school gardens, adding four speed scratch cooking and, you know, doing a lot of the things that I would normally do prior to working in school food, added my restaurant experience. And then I also was a academic department chair at a a culinary school, which sounds fancy, but just wrote a lot of curriculum and trained a lot of chef instructors.
2: So, yeah. Thank you so much. Um, I think just to just to round out what the painting the picture of of the work that you do in each of your operations and together, um, I wanted to ask Hope, can you tell us a little bit more about what products you sell and, and what um, volumes and frequency you produce for the schools um, and more about your your practices on the farm?
3: Sure. Yeah, the last uh, three years we've been in business for about five years. So the last three years our main crop to school districts has has basically been anything that can go on a salad bar. We focused a lot on lettuce. So when we were really cranking during the school year, um, we sell to five districts. Each week, we would pull out between 350 to 600 pounds of lettuce a week. And then Maybe, you know, 50 pounds of radishes and carrots or broccoli or turnips or whatever other um, kind of miscellaneous items that kids could eat fresh on a salad bar. By far, our biggest uh, crop to school districts, uh, we just had a standing order every week, uh, was lettuce. Um, This year is a lot different. Um, We're still trying to kind of figure out what that looks like. Um, in terms of things that schools can use, because there aren't salad bars anymore, unfortunately, um, and a lot more things are prepackaged. I would say this year we're looking to still sell some root crops to school districts, um, probably still some broccoli and some cauliflower and some of those those things. You know, it's a it's a little difficult because the school year is kind of over that fall-winter season where you don't have all the really easy, fun stuff that everybody loves, like the tomatoes and the peppers and all those sorts of things. So we kind of operated in a manner in which we just had a standing order each week so we knew exactly how to plan ahead and exactly how to succession plant uh, for those orders. Uh, as far as our practices go, uh, you know, we mainly use... Not mainly, we do use organic practices, but we're not certified organic. We use all hand scales. So, you know, we're out there using hoes and rakes and those sorts of things um, to cultivate our crops. Uh, Yeah, we do use some season extension on our farm to help us get consistent growing during the winter months so that you know, we could consistently produce those standing orders each week. For example, uh, this year, we have four um, caterpillar tunnels, which we cover with plastic. So it gives us consistent growing that we can count on for the school districts.
2: Yeah, it's, it's interesting just having been to the farm and seeing the, intensive, the intensiveness in which with which you're growing the lettuce and that you the lettuce, and I think a lot of your items were selected specifically to be able to do effectively and efficiently at that scale for food service, given some of the constraints of food service. And we'll ask you know, Vince about that more in a minute, but I was just wondering what, what are some of those um, practices that you've been able to, and, and how, what, what's made you choose the crops that you've been able to use?
3: Yeah, so the biggest thing on our scale, because we're only two acres, was is that we had to choose crops that we could grow in high volume in a small space and that would um, we could move quickly in and out of the field, that we could have a fast turnover. So, you know, lettuce was a really logical choice at like 35 to 45 days per crop. We could pull it in, harvest it, and take it out. We also focused on a lot of cut and come again varieties, varieties that maybe we didn't necessarily have to take out. Um, If they were in a tunnel, we could cut them and they would regrow really fast and be ready to cut in two weeks so we could get maybe four or five cuts out of one bed, that sort of thing. We focus on things like radishes that are 21 days or turnips that are 35 days, that sort of thing.
2: Thank you so much. And um, to shift back to Vince and uh, to understand a little bit more about your operation at Atonements Unified. Um, what is your production and processing like and you know in, in purchasing practices and in turn uh, can you tell us a little bit more about how that's been affected by COVID-19?
0: Yeah so I mean the boring answer is the practices that we have now and, and I'll say this since March 13th I'm on version 50 of how I operate um, so it's changed a lot are very much the same principles that we operated with prior to COVID. Um, I think the main principle is be able to adapt and and overcome that. Um, But one big shift that we had early on that changed a lot of our decision making process is in education. I mean, I'll back up and working with working in restaurants and working outside of and food outside of school. It was just to serve the best, most delicious food as possible. In um, education, uh, this is from working in Cordon Blue Days, we're in the business of teaching people about things they don't know, they don't like yet. And we usually do this with science and math, and if a kid doesn't do well in math, we don't lower the bar for them. We just try and give them support and help them overcome. Um, as a food service director who works in education, my goal is to teach kids about foods they don't know they like yet. So that means giving them other greens on the salad bar besides romaine. That means, you know, serving, uh, serving radish. Uh, that means sometimes that that means teaching them about, um, Heirloom vegetables, heirloom tomatoes that look weird, that um, have stripes and not always the vibrant red that they're used to at the grocery store, and adding educational and um, supportive materials for them in order to name other things besides a Roma tomato. That also means bringing farmers into the into the picture, and you know, it's great to it's great for some of the students to know the farmers by name. Um, and by what they grow, by a lot of the assemblies um, and farm-to-school farmers markets that we have on campus. Um, during COVID, which is March thirteenth, one of the you know one of the early waivers that we have is this meal pattern waiver, which means to some people it means that hey, you can kind of serve whatever you want. But with with farm-to-school operations, we always try to uh still maintain the usda guidelines um we use it if we need to but it allows us to serve a lot more unique things and, and within the season i think for the first time during COVID, you know we served cherry tomatoes we serve five different types of um of stone fruits um i think hope you gave us radish mm-hmm. um we got which is the stone fruit and some other, like we served eggplants, cucumber lemons that we got from the farm. Um, So not only did we increase uh, the amount that we served uh, to kids who were locally grown food, but the variety in which we gave them um, made for the most interesting comments. Even some people who have been working in food for a while. It's our first time, I'm looking at a 50-year-old who's seeing cucumber lemon for the first time you are like what is this let's make spa water out of it let's put in our salad and having that conversation with the parents through the passenger window of like what is this hey we made a salsa out of it those are some great things that brought normalcy to kids during covid
2: i know that that's the biggest priority in who you're serving and how you're serving really innovatively and it's also reflective of a very innovative program on the, in the back of the house. Could you tell us a little bit more about how, about how you developed that program, and what it looks like with your team? Yeah, um, so
0: with this, I, coming from Cordon Bleu, you know, it was, it was an open enrollment school, which meant we took anyone who was able to get in and we taught them uh, the basics of culinary, uh, of culinary techniques. And basically took that with my staff in 2012 when i first got there and just started teaching them how to cook how to process things and you know we're at this point where we make gumbo in-house which from a culinary perspective is is a pretty um pretty advanced level culinary technique we can fabricate our own turkeys for for thanksgiving meal and make our own uh, butternut squash puree but didn't start off that way. It was um, teaching them how to hold a knife. Um, my first recipe, I think you guys will laugh, my first speed scratch recipe that we use is, uh, I use that liberally with uh, three-layer bean dip, which uh, all you had to do was pipe um, refried beans, nachos, and salsa all in one cup into three layers um the three layers made for a nice presentation and it was something new that they didn't just put in the oven low and slow um and that was a 2012 recipe and i was like hey this is really entry-level bared cooking and 50 percent of my staff called out the next day because it was something new that they've never done before and yeah i i think you know, overcoming that, giving them support, uh, being them, being there to show them how to pipe food, how to um, work a knife, how to use a convection oven, um, how to use tilt skilled kettles. And we're at this point where we uh, cook, chill food and, and produce things in-house. But getting to that point of persistent training um, and giving them support was, was a big one. You know we so bottom line is it didn't happen overnight. A lot of that mentality came from just i think at this point eight and a half years of of constant culinary training
2: Wow, thank you so much for for explaining that. I remember you uh, a few years ago telling saying that it had taken about four or five years to get to a level of of volume hand shopping that that was you know you got to 50 yeah. percent. Fruit and vegetable processing in-house, which for a district with as uh, you know mid, uh, mid-scale school district is really substantial processing by hand.
0: Yeah, um, I mean things like you know giving us whole lettuce. You know, there's times where you know Hope will say, "Hey, we have lettuce, but can you chop it?" I'm like, yes, we're at this point um, where we can break down our lettuce." Hey, we got squash. Can you guys? Cook that and puree it yourself. Um, and definitely, um, definitely we could, you know, roasting eggplants, roasting carrots. Uh, we're at a point where uh, we take the same technique and apply it to different things. So if you can roast chicken, you can roast carrots, you can roast zucchini, and as I see it end up on the salad bar pre COVID, uh, the kids definitely more likely to take
2: it. Thank you so much for sharing. Question for both of you: Um, How has your how has your the working relationship between Natomas Unified and Fire Ginger, in particular, been affected by COVID nineteen?
3: Yeah. um, So you know, we're we're definitely still working together, and Vince has been so very supportive of our farm, and I think it's just a testament to building relationships. You know, as soon as this all hit, he just reached out and he said, "What can we do to help? What are you going to have?" uh produce wise how can we incorporate it you know let us see what we can do um and and continue really to reach out to our farm and just you know how are you doing what can we do how can we work together and i think you know some things are shifting a little bit we're shifting towards um as we get further into the school year um, we were the we were awarded a usda farm to school grant so i think that some of our work with natomas um, natomas is part of this grant We'll shift to maybe some educational farm to school work um, that we will do with Vince, um, in addition to just uh, you know, produce that they purchase from us, which we're really excited about. We love that work and we love working with Vince uh, and, and all their teachers and his team and all that sort of stuff. So I think that's gonna be a shift that we're gonna see at least for this school year. Also the products that we're gonna sell him are gonna be a little bit different, but Vince is really creative and so he comes up with a lot of really great ways that we can still sell him some he can still utilize some of the products that we've been selling him for the last uh three or four years so i think some things will stay the same but i think a little bit of shift to education and a little bit of shift to new products
0: yeah Yeah, i i i I felt bad at the beginning of pandemic because of the publication that came out you know fiery ginger fiery ginger farm came out on this publication saying, hey, we had to plow things, we had to plow food. And I was like, oh, no, if I'm going to uh, put the stake down as a farm to school program, it was like a couple weeks after COVID hit, I still have to continue um, with this trajectory. Um, So, you know, I called. I called Hope. I called Shane, and basically asked him, "Hey, what do you have?" And we brought it on board. I mean, it, in some ways, it's that simple. But on, on some, some ways, you know, we 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 would write menus two, three times a week uh, pre-COVID. We would write menus two, three times a year. But we just rewrite things, and as guidance came out. And waivers came out and updates came out, um, we were able to adjust a little bit more frequently. So, yeah, you know, with COVID, if we're gonna get through it, uh, one of the questions that I always ask is if we're gonna rebuild ourselves as an economy, if I'm just looking at the financial standpoint, it means that we're gonna have to feed kids. Uh, we're going to have to put our local producers to work, and we're going to have to keep our staff employed. And all those three, if you put them in a Venn diagram, they easily overlap. So, I think with the help and connection of, with Ben, we're we're at the point where we supported five local farms, bought directly from them. Yeah, we bought directly from them, and I think none of them, none of them lost that much money. Um, because you know, as as a question comes up, like how did you adapt to it? Basically, I called them and say, "Hey, what do you have?" Um, you know, we sold cherries for the first time this summer, and sometimes you just have to buy imperfect food. Like I had that weird split in the middle, and we're able to get it at half the price uh, buying direct from the farmers themselves. So, I mean, like one of the coolest things that we got um, this summer. Was zephyr squash and hope? What is that? The two colored squash.
3: Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh it's a uh, yellow uh on the top and then green on the very bottom.
0: Yeah, so I mean, the kids saw that. It's just it's like, oh my gosh, this looks so cool, and it it makes for pretty good. It's a it's one of those Instagrammable type of foods. <laughs> it's just like a two tone squash, and the kids definitely um had a blast with it and just roasting it at home.
2: Wow so it sounds like um you know I think some interesting things that you're both bringing up like how you're able to when it comes to the educational programs how you're able to also leverage your relationship to support the shifts that you're going to need to make from doing all in-person programs to having more of more virtual programs and, and hybrid programs Hope and you reflecting on working with Vince to be able to do that as well I think that's really interesting and um and also, that, I mean, I can't imagine at your scale events being able to having, having to pivot that constantly, but it's also reflective of, I think, what that planning and that willingness to be creative, whether you're looking out two months and what you're, what's going to be planted and harvested or whether you're looking at uh, what needs to be pulled out the fields to prevent waste this week. Um, there's, there's sort of very similar principles that you're applying both in this context under COVID and in your regular service. I think it's just uh, interesting motifs that that are coming out of the discussion.
1: In the next episode, Ben, Hope, and Vince will talk about the reasons farms have for pursuing school sales. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Additional information can be found in the notes. And please leave a comment and don't forget to subscribe. We'd also appreciate it if you could fill out a brief survey to tell us what you thought of the podcast. It helps us improve our content. A link to the survey is included in the notes. I'm your host, Rich Myers. Alan Puckett and I produce Atra Voices from the Field at the National Center for Appropriate Technologies headquarters in Butte, Montana with support from the USDA Rural Business Cooperative Service as part of NCAT's ATRA Sustainable Agriculture Program. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this recording are those of the participants and did not necessarily reflect the view of the USDA or NCAT. We'll catch you again next week, and until then, keep on farming.